Thank you. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're moving along in our sermon series titled Spiritual Living. James is writing to Jews who became Christians who are now scattered away from Jerusalem. They're suffering persecution, um, but they're also in need of spiritual growth. There's some areas of work that James would like to press into them, and today he continues in this. And our sermon today is titled, Who Can Tame the Tongue? (laughs) James helps us to see just how dangerous our tongues are. If we're honest with ourselves, if we look at ourselves in the mirror, as James asked us to do a few weeks ago, um, and if we take ownership of our souls, we will come to know that not only have others' tongues hurt us, but our tongues have hurt others. This morning, James helps us to take ownership of our tongues. And we will no no doubt wonder at some point in this message, is there hope for for our tongues? Can the tongue be tamed? And if so, how? James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed. And he has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word to us. Uh, It is convicting. We would like to shift blame. We would like to rationalize away um, how our words often inflict harm. We pray that you would show us the greater way, that you would reveal to us the hope that we have in the gospel through your son, Jesus Christ. And may you fill us with your spirit so that we may not kick against your truth, but rather we would welcome it, that it can change us, and that we'd experience the joy of our salvation. We pray. Amen. Amen. 
Four or five years ago, our family was gathered around the dinner table and the dinner table at the Middlecoff house uh, when we're able to gather now, got older kids, so maybe a couple times a week we actually get to sit at the table. But um, the dinner table is a time for us to gather and to listen, to share from the, what, what happened during the day and time to listen and build each other up. But that night, one of my daughters said something that angered me, and with a loud voice, I said, shut up. Shut up is a forbidden phrase for us middle coughs. But there it was, echoing around the room and echoing in the minds of that sweet child of mine. It caught me off guard. The words of my two-ounce tongue were as if they were two giant steel nails being driven into the soul of my sweet child. I wanted to shift blame or downplay what I had done. I was angry after all. But you should also know that blame shifting is forbidden in the Middlecoff household. (laughs) Thankfully, repentance isn't. And saying I'm sorry is the only right action. This passage of scripture is vitally important. James graphically depicts our tongues as being dangerous, uncontrollable agents of harm in the world. In verse 6, James calls the tongue a fire. Fire destroys, does it not? In verse 8, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, when James speaks of our tongues, he doesn't just mean the harsh words said in anger. We can misuse our tongues in many different ways, like lying and gossiping and profanity and innuendo. We use our tongues to blame shift. We use our tongues to flatter ourselves at others' expense. We use our tongues to plant seeds of doubt, do we not? Are you sure you trust her? She is fairly selfish after all. Consider sarcasm. When you're on the receiving end of sarcasm, it can feel as if a scalpel has cut beneath the skin and opened a secret hidden wound in your soul. We can even use our tongues to speak truth, but speak in such a way that it inflicts pain for the hearer, but also sadistic satisfaction for us. Oh, didn't you hear? Uh, Coach Smith came up with the team roster and... uh, You're not on it. Sorry. Why so much attention to the words we say? Because one's mouth is a barometer of their spiritual maturity. What comes out of our mouths gives us an unfiltered view inside of our hearts. James helps us to take ownership of our tongues so that the gospel may produce a good fruit in our lives, so that our words would actually be like springs of fresh living water into a world that needs it. As we investigate James's words this morning, we're going to attempt to answer the question, who can tame the tongue? As we do that, we're going to look at three different areas. First, the significance, then the status, then the salvation. First, the significance of the tongue. James begins by putting me in a difficult position. Did you see that? Look at verse 1. Not many of you should 
Become teachers, my brothers, for we know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James is saying that those who teach Scripture will be judged to a greater strictness than those who do not. My seminary professor, Dan Doriani, makes this comment. He says, check this out. Paradoxically, every time a teacher rises to explain this verse, he invites judgment on himself. And Josh said last week that I give him all the hard passages. Now more could be said, said, but James' greatest concern isn't with teachers. His focus really is upon us all. James says in verse 2, for we all stumble. James is including himself and everyone reading this letter. Everyone stumbles with regards to controlling his or her tongue. In verse 2, James says that anyone who does not stumble in what he says, he would be what? Perfect. Perfect is a Greek word, teleos. It can be translated in many different words, but it can mean goal or end or maturity or perfection. Here it relates to one's spiritual maturity. James is showing us just how significant a role our tongues play in our spiritual growth. The more mature and Christ-like you are, the more you will be able to bridle your tongue. Verses 3 and 4, James presents three analogies that that illustrate the significance of our tongues. James, James compares the tongue first to a bit that controls the horse, then to the rudder that steers the ship, and then lastly to the spark that causes the great forest fire. What do all these illustrations have in common? Well, something small is able to produce very large outcomes. The first two have to do with something small directing something large. The charioteer is able to steer the large horse to pull simply left or right by tugging upon the bit in its mouth. The captain is able to steer a large ship through a storm simply by turning the rudder left or right. So too, the tongue determines the direction of our lives. What we do follows what we think and say. Our internal speech, our thoughts, our spoken words, they direct our actions, do they not? Our tongue can direct us towards Christ's likeness, or our tongues can direct us towards unrighteousness. Verse 5, James says, So also the tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great things. It can steer the whole ship. Now, whereas the first two analogies point to the significance of the tongue as it relates to direction, The third analogy points to the significance of the tongue as it relates to destruction. Isn't that what fire does? It destroys. Look at the end of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Here James is highlighting the destructive nature of our tongues. One stray word can scorch a family, a school, and yes, even a church. You know, this begins at really quite a young age. One of my daughters shared with me about one of her classmates who always has to one-up her. If my daughter told her about her uh, trip into the city, well, this girl would have to share about her flight to the Bahamas. If my daughter had a fun weekend, this girl would boast of an even better one. Now, can I say something? Such boasting, it's, it's not just inappropriate, it's evil. I know some people say, well, they're just kids. You know, let kids be kids. Uh, how can you say it's evil? Well, consider this. 
Any comment that can tear another person down are really truly words of poison to that person's soul. Consider just how one harsh word can change or damage a child for life. So our tongues are significant. Now, as we continue to investigate the question, who can tame the tongue? James moves from saying what the tongue is like to what the tongue is. The tongue isn't just like a fire. Look at verse 6. It says the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. What is James getting at? James wants us not to fall into the trap of pointing to the world around us and saying, look how bad the world outside is. James wants us to own up to the fact that the problem isn't just with the world. It's not just that the world is bad. It's that we are too. We see that in verse 6. And the, and the tongue is set among our members, staining the, staining the body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Remember now that, that words aren't just the things we say. They are also the things that we think. You cannot think without using words inside of your head. You th- when you think, even when you dream, you use words. Some of you have maybe learned a foreign language, and one of the great things you realize, hey, I am thinking in Spanish, right? You're thinking with words. And so as you speak to yourself constantly, your tongue is active, even when your lips aren't moving. Does that make sense? And so James says that words stain the whole body, and they set on fire our entire course of life, and then hell itself has its way with us. Let me give you just one example of how words can stain our lives. Some of the worst words that you can say to yourself is the phrase, I deserve. I deserve a better spouse. I deserve nicer things. I deserve a better job. I deserve what that person has. Words like that, when embraced, they stain our entire being. They direct us to live selfish lives characterized by self-pity. They steer us away from satisfaction in God. If there is a devil, and I do believe he exists, this is exactly how he wants us to live. So James helps us to see that the, that the words we think and the words that we say direct our lives for good or for ill. That's the significance of our tongues. Let's move now from the significance to the status. James says that the status of our tongues is that they are untamable and they are hypocritical. We're good at taming all kinds of things, but our tongues are untamable. Look at verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Like, I think it was like seven or eight years ago. Time tends to seem to like vanish uh, in my mind exactly how long ago it was. But I think it was seven, eight years ago. We went to Florida on a family vacation. And one day we went on these rides. Maybe you've done this as well through the Everglades on these airboats. And um, I was cruising around the Everglades. We couldn't help but notice there's all kinds of alligators sunning themselves on the banks. 
and we were certain that there were many lurking beneath the water right next to our boats. A couple times I was, remember myself thinking, I hope we don't run out of gas. <laughs> now when we returned to the dock, we saw other alligators, but they were in a pen. They had been tamed. We even have pictures of our girls touching and holding live alligators. James is saying that man can tame any creatures, even alligators, but the status of our tongues, listen, the status of our tongues is that they are untamable by mankind. Look at verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It's true, isn't it? If we would be honest with ourselves, we would know that we often think and say things we wish we never did. How many of you, before Thanksgiving dinner, told yourself to bite your tongue, but then old so-and-so said, you know what? (laughs) And then you said what you said. Maybe you didn't even say it. Maybe you just thought it. But the words were there. Of the tongue, James says in verse 8, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's what that is. Our tongues are restless evil, and that, that, that they're in there just waiting to come out. They will break out at any time when you least expect it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's not just me, right? A couple other heads nodding, a couple, okay. Whew, good, all right. Um, our tongues are deadly poison, and that the words we say, like poison, can damage and kill. The tongue is humanly untamable. James also says that the tongue is also hypocritical. We see this in verses 9 and 10. Look there, he says, with it, that's the tongue, two things. We bless our Lord and Father, and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And then James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. My friends, human beings have been made by God for a relationship with God. Our lives are lived to their fullness when we draw near to God and enjoy him and live in humility in his presence and and we enjoy his care, we enjoy his provision. And so we are made to enjoy our creator and praise him for all his attributes, especially his love and his grace towards us. James says that with our tongues we do this, and we do this. Every Sunday we gather and we praise God together. Throughout the week we privately pray to God and praise him. Now the astonishing thing, guys, the astonishing thing isn't that we praise God. We were made for that. The astonishing thing is that with the same tongues we curse others. James says something key for us to grasp. With the same tongue we praise God and we curse people who are what? Made in God's likeness. God made mankind in his image. He said to Adam and Eve, I have created you to reflect my glory, my power, my wisdom, my creativity on this earth. Fill this earth with humanity that reflects and and displays my likeness on earth. And as God is a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and 
God is enjoying perfect delight and intimacy of relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. So too mankind was made in God's likeness to enjoy relationships. We were made by God to enjoy perfect, delightful relationships with all who are, like us, made in the likeness of God. But due to the fall, our relationship with God is deeply tarnished, and along with that, our relationship with other people is deeply tarnished. Sadly, Adam and Eve rejected God, said we're going to rebel from God, and said we're just going to do our own thing. Um, I deserve this, <laughs> and God hasn't given it, so we are going away from God. And because of this, the entire world as we know it has come into a state that we call a fallen state. Mankind's relationship with God is corrupted, as well as mankind's relationship with each other is now corrupted. And our tongues are proof of this. We curse other people made in the likeness of God. Consider how people curse others for the slightest of things on social media. A month back, Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots, had a reporter following him one day. And the reporter was in the in the room with Tom when Tom was getting a massage. And along comes Tom's young boy, and he came in the room, and he asked his dad for something. And Tom says, sure, you can have it, but first you have to give me a kiss. And so his son gives him a little kiss on the cheek, and Tom says, that's not a kiss. And his son returned and gave him a kiss on the lips and exited the room with a smile. But people on social media exploded with vitriol. How dare Tom Brady make his kid kiss him in order to get what he wants? What kind of perverted man makes his son kiss him on the lips? See, we're quick to find fault with others and then unleash all kinds of poison with our tongues. How much better it would be if we would first try to see and distinguish in that individual the likeness of God that is still there. Every human being, no matter how fallen they appear to you, retains some remnant of the divine likeness. Francis Schaeffer referred to human beings as being glorious ruins. He compares us to the ancient Parthenon in Greece. It, though it's fallen into decay, if you go and stand before it, it's still glorious. It is a glorious ruin. So too, you and I, we have fallen into decay, and yet some of that original glory of that likeness of being created in God's image still rests upon us. It is there. Sometimes it's hard to see, but it is there. We Christians would be so much more welcoming to others and much more like Jesus if we weren't so quick to determine what's wrong with somebody and instead looked upon others to distinguish that glorious image of God in them, to find it, to identify it, to praise God for it, and to relate to them on that basis. But James says our tongues reveal us to be hypocrites. We bless God and then curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And then in verse 10, James exclaims, Brothers, these things ought not to be so. Finally, finally some application. The hypocrisy ought not to be so. And then he goes on to illustrate just how out of place it is. Look at verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is asking questions with obvious answers. A spring does not produce both fresh water and salt water, nor does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine figs, and and a salty pond just cannot yield fresh water. James is demonstrating how incongruous and antithetical it is for someone with the same tongue to bless God and to curse others who are made in God's likeness. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. So let me ask you, run through the words that you've thought and said this past week. You know what? I'm sure some of those words were really wonderful, life-giving words. After all, you do retain that glory of the image of God. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we know at times we are also glorious ruins. We can and do think and say all kinds of poisonous words. So think about this past week, or even just the past 23 hours. <laughs> Daylight savings, after all. Do James's words rebuke you in any way? So we've seen the significance of the tongue and the status of the tongue now for what our hearts must be longing for right now, the salvation of our tongues. Now, some would say that James simply wants, what he wants us to do is just simply control your tongues. Just take a hand on that rudder. You just do it. You know, you can do it. Take control of your tongue. We're all just a little bit misguided. And if you understand what I'm saying, you're going you're gonna to want to take more control of your tongue. Grab the rudder. Grab the reins in your hands. Control your tongue and control the direction in your life. It's just that simple. You can do it. Now, this idea is appealing. That's perhaps how some ministers would preach this text. We like to hear that we can control our lives. We can control our tongues. Unfortunately, this view runs contrary to what James has been saying. What James has just taught, no human being can tame the tongue. And does it not also run against all of what Scripture says? Jesus does not say, control the tongue and you control all. No, he says, your heart controls your tongue and your speech. The heart is the pilot that steers the rudder. Your heart is the rider that holds the reins of your life. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, listen, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Earlier, Danny Gomez read from Matthew 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And that defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus is saying it's the heart that controls the tongue. Which must make us think. If I'm ever to tame the tongue, I need a new heart. So in lies the salvation of our tongues, the salvation of our hearts. 
Listen, James says in verse 8 that no human being can tame the tongue. He didn't say the tongue is untamable, just that it's impossible with mankind, but it is possible with God. Listen, the gift of God for those who have faith in Christ, is it a new tongue? No, it's a new heart. Is that not what Ezekiel promised back in the Old Testament, that one day God would pour out upon his people the Spirit of God and even plant in them new hearts? A new heart comes with the birth that God gives to all of his children. So the gift of God for those who believe, understand this, the gift of God isn't just forgiveness of your sin. It's a new life with a new heart and the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God inside the believer. The Bible says that the, that the believer, the Christian, is a new creation. That those who are, who are united with Christ now have what? The mind of Christ. Christians are given new eyes to see the world in new ways. And all of this is a gift of God's grace. And since we now understand ourselves to be what? Glorious ruins, redeemed by God's grace and love. We now see all others as glorious ruins in need of our grace and love. And because of this new birth and this new heart and this new spirit, coupled with the word of God, remember James earlier, being implanted within. With this, we experience the taming of our tongues. But the truth is, and I'm living proof of it, this taming, it's only partial. That's why James includes himself with those to whom he's writing. We all stumble in many ways. But you know, there's a difference to how a believer stumbles and an unbeliever stumbles with their tongue. The unbeliever stumbles with his tongue and then he blames others or he downplays it. He sees no reason to change. He praises not God. And he continues to curse others, just hoping this time that the wrong people don't hear it. But the believer, when his tongue stumbles, has a different experience. He is humbled by his failings. He is brought to his knees. And he's on his knees in awe and wonder at God's grace and mercy. How great is your mercy towards me still? How can you love me still in spite of all of this? And he repents of his foolish thoughts and actions. And in this doing, his heart is more and more transformed. And his tongue becomes more and more of a pure spring which gives life to all who thirst. That is what James speaks of later in chapter 4. He writes in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Listen, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The greatest thing that that the, the heart God gives us, that it can do for you, is to produce humility in you. God in love gives you a new heart so you can be humble before God. Why? So that after you become humble before God, you can be exalted by God. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Wow. How good is our God? 
He gives us the heart that we need so that we can experience the humility that we lack so that we can be exalted by God who made us for a relationship with him. It doesn't get any better than that. And it's this humility that God gives that revives the soul. It tames the tongue. How so? Well, it causes us to cling even more to Christ. The one whom we failed by our tongues has redeemed us by his tongue. Jesus is the one whose tongue was completely tamed. Jesus never issued a careless, hurtful word. Even his rebukes were meant to heal in love. Even dying on the cross, as others cursed him, his tongue cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christian, there's great hope for you and me with regards to our tongues. Though no human can ever tame their tongue, Christ in us can do this work. Because of the new heart that God alone can give, you can experience salvation of your tongue. So, who can tame the tongue? Not you or me, apart from God's grace. James has shown us the significance in the status of our tongues. He wants us to see the urgency. We must take seriously the taming of our tongues, not your neighbor, but you and me. The day of overlooking or making excuses for our thoughts and our words is over. God in Christ has made us to be pure springs of living water that the world needs. So then, may we live now according to who we've been made in Christ. May we commit before God and each other to pursue righteousness together. God has made us alive in Christ. May we yield ourselves, therefore, to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. May our tongues no longer speak both life and death, but may they speak life and life. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Let's pray. Father, it's true. It's hard, to, it's hard to fathom sometimes. We realize how deeply in need we are of your mercy every day, every minute. Our thoughts betray us. In one moment, we praise you, and in the next, we think ill of somebody made in your image. We repent right now of that. We know that our only hope is in Christ, giving us a new heart, and in the spirit that dwells in us, and in your word that you've implanted in us. May we be hopeful people. May we truly seek to have you guide us in how we think and speak. And may you continue this work of maturing your people. Here at Grace Church, we pray. Amen.